0: Father, we thank you for the chance to gather together, to fellowship, to talk to one another and bring encouragement, bring a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. We ask, Father, that you would teach us by your Spirit, as is the only way possible to understand your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring us to full maturity, that we would be able to instruct others, that we would be able to not only benefit those who we know or those who we are acquainted with, but that we may be a benefit to all society that we dwell with. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide for us wisdom beyond our years for the days are evil. And we see that wicked men and women rise to power. And we ask that you would help us not to be dismayed, but help us to cling to you even more closely as we see the problems of the world unfold. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 29, you know, you get to certain portions of the Bible and you go, how is this relevant to me? This deals with the ordination and the consecration of priests in the Old Testament, specifically the high priest and everything that they had to go through. How they had to bring this bullock, how they had to have the certain garb on there. The high priest had to have the breastplate. He had to have the urim and the thummim. And if you remember the tabernacle area, the pictures that we've been showing for the past two weeks, the tabernacle mock-up in the Valley of Timnah in Israel. And as you looked at the outside, you had the linen screens which were out there, which defined the outer boundaries of it and it was 50, or 150 by 75 feet and as you walked in the first thing you came to was the altar, the brazen altar and then you went to the laver or the basin that the priests would wash themselves in and that was the altar for the outside as you walked into the tabernacle itself and as you went past the curtain that was a blue, purple and scarlet yarn all woven by a master weaver in there and you walked in you noticed that the ground was dirt and you had to go in there without any laid stone or hewn stone whatsoever. And then once you got inside, you notice that to the left, you had the lamp stand. And of course the stand, you know, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And that's why branches come off of the main candlestick portion in there. And you turn to the right and you saw the table of showbread, which is there and a loaf for each one of the tribes of Israel. And as you went directly in front, you would see what is in chapter 30, which is the altar of incense and we're not in chapter 30 yet but god is going to describe how to build that and how big it is and let you know it's a foot and a half by a foot and a half by three feet it's very small it's not even as big as this lectern right here and the priest would go in and he would put incense on that and he would burn that morning and evening and then once a year the high priest would go behind that curtain the veil which was there in order to put blood on yom kippur onto the mercy seat of the Holy of Holies. First, he would do it to the horns of the little altar of incense, and then he'd go in and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And so all of this was set up, and there was an order for which it was to take place. And if the priests got out of this order, they would be condemned by God and killed. God would strike them dead if they did not do it right. This law was burdensome to carry out. There were so many regulations. When you get into this stuff, you go, man, it seems like their entire life, all through the year, was wrapped up in going to the temple, making sacrifices. And the priest, what the priest would do, it was a bloody job. And we'll get into the description of that. But as we look at this, there are so many offerings that were offered to the Lord. There was the sin offering, a sacrifice of a bullock. And then there was a burnt offering. It's talked about in Exodus chapter 29 verses 15 through 18. And this was done in conjunction with sanctifying, consecrating, and ordinate, or, or excuse me, ordaining the priests for their job in the temple. There was also a peace offering and there was a drink offering. There was a, a fellowship offering, which is probably the same thing as a peace offering. And then there was a heave or a wave offering. There was a meal offering. There was a trespass offering. All of these things. We don't worship God like that. When we come in, we say, hello, grab a bulletin if you want one, sit down, sing a few songs, listen to a message, fellowship for a little while, and you leave with a donut and some coffee. I mean, that's that's how we worship, right? And those things, they can be modified in their duration, order, how much time they take up in the church. You know, some churches think, well, it needs to be just all oh, worship. And then just a little word of encouragement at the end. And other churches think, no, it's all the word and only give two words of worship. And that's the way to do it. And other people say, no, it's all about fellowship of the saints. We have the spirit in common. We have to keep a balance with all of this stuff. And God set up this for the Israelites that there would be a balance of worship. But it was tedious. It was burdensome. It was hard to follow through with the law. And God gave us the direction once he came and he was crucified, that ceremonial law went away. But I have a question for you. Should the devotion that the Israelites had to the Lord in keeping the law, should that be reflected in the way that we serve the Lord? That same devotion, should it be evident? The answer is, of course. Everything that they had to do. You know, there was a sacrifice in the morning and in the evening, three festivals a year. They had to go to uh, Jerusalem in Israel. All of these things had to take place. And they, some people, had great zeal. Now, how many people do you think said, "Hey, let's go down to Jerusalem again. We're going to offer this sacrifice again. Let's go. Jacob, come on. And they would go down and they would offer this sacrifice. And, and another time of year. Three times this year and next year, three times we're going. And the year after, you know, you could see the people start to say, man, this is tough. Why can't we do this just once? There was a purpose in that. Why they didn't do it just once. And scripture tells us about that. It's actually in Hebrews and we'll be getting to that. But I want to open up here in verse 1 of chapter 29. We're just going to read this and you're going to notice. Wow, this is like... This is just too much. I don't want to do that much. This is just way over the top. It says, Take a young bull and two rams without defect and from excuse me, and from fine wheat flour without yeast make bread and cakes mixed with oil and wafers spread with oil. Put them in a basket and present them in it along with the bull and two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So they had to have a bath in front of the tent of meeting, in front of the tabernacle that was there. Now, this is for the ordination, the consecration of the priests as they serve. And this was specifically the high priest and his son. This was Aaron and all of Aaron's sons. Verse 5. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred diadem to the turban. Now this is also repeated in Leviticus chapter 8. The entire Leviticus chapter 8, it goes through the consecration and the ordination of the priest. It's like once wasn't enough in Exodus, God wanted to have this tedious ordination process detailed again in scripture and he did that and when you read it you just go oh man this is tough verse seven take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head and so he had this garb on and he he would have to be anointed by moses moses would take this oil and he'd pour it on his head now when i was back at calvary chapel of mesa it seems like it was eons ago there was an elder there named steve And Steve wanted to take the Bible as literally as he could. And in James chapter 5, when it says, anoint with oil, uh, those who are sick, they'll come forward, call for the elders, and they'll pray for them. They anoint them with oil. Well, the habit was, and this was also back at North Park when it was Calvary Chapel, San Diego, and later turned into Horizon. You'd take some oil, and you would dip it on your finger, and you'd place it on the forehead of the individual, and then you would pray for them. That's how it would happen. Well, this guy, Steve, who was an elder, said, well, you got to do it like Scripture says. Pour it on them. And... Yes, he did. He took the oil and poured it on him when he was praying. It's like this oil was coming down. It's going black. That's what Scripture says to do. Just pour it on him. Of course, the clothes were probably ruined. They had to go home and immediately take a shower and all of that. But he was following through with that. And Aaron here, he had this oil that was poured over him, the anointing oil that was for his ordination and consecration. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics, verse 8. And in verse 9, put headbands on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. In this way, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And this idea of placing the hands on the bullock was symbolizing the transfer of the individual sin to the bullock and then it was offered as a sin offering it's like the bullock became the sin now who else do you know that became sin for us it's like god wow god foreshadowed this all the way in the past again they could not see that They didn't know about the Messiah coming in the future. They didn't have that much information yet. They didn't have all of the Old Testament scriptures yet. We can see it from this side of the cross. Then it goes on in verse 12. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat from around the inner parts, the covering of the liver and both kidneys with the fat on them and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh, and it's hide, and it's awful. The awful is the internal organs, everything that's on the inside. Burn the awful outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, you look at this and you go, okay, so how does this relate to me? What what am I supposed to do as a Christian? What am I supposed to think about this? So this bullock, it has its blood. It's spilled out. And the horns of the altar were a place of mercy. And so this blood... Is applied to the altar, the life is applied to mercy, and then the blood is poured out at the base of the altar. Now, what do you think that blood would smell like after a little bit of time? And after you offer blood sacrifice, after blood sacrifice, how much blood would there be running away from the altar? And when they built the temple, that blood they would sacrifice so many animals that that blood would go down into the Kidron Valley and it would flow. What would that smell like? I don't know if you guys have smelled blood like that, if you've ever been in a slaughterhouse or anything like that. But I'm telling you, it is not a pleasant experience to go through something like that. And it is a full sensory experience, as I'll expand on in just a little bit. And so this bull, you are to take the insides and offer it, as a burnt offering, but only some of the insides, and then the rest of it was to be taken oh excuse me, outside the camp as a sin offering. Who was transferred excuse me, outside the city of Jerusalem to become a sin offering? It was Jesus Christ. He was taken out of the city. He was tried inside the city but taken outside the city. And so that's what this foreshadows. So the sacrifice of the bullock was a sin offering and it was supposed to be completely burnt up outside of the city walls. Now going on in verse 15, Take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take the blood, and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the inner parts and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. And again, this is the process of sanctifying these guys, this lineage of Aaron and Moses. This was the priesthood that was supposed to be established from generation to generation. If you were not part of, Of their particular family line, you were disqualified from serving as a priest. And so this was to go on for as long as the temple was in place and there was sacrifice being made. Verse 19, take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it, take some of its blood, and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his son, and on the thumbs of the right hands, and on the big toes of the right feet. Then sprinkle blood against the altar on all sides. This altar would have been a bloody mess after everything was done. But then you see them putting the blood actually on themselves. And this was, like I said, this was a dirty job Uh, getting this blood splattered. You know, if you've seen animals slaughtered before, and I've been to a slaughterhouse before. We did that, uh, and I've mentioned that before. We've done this in high school. Uh, And some of the students in there, they could not stay inside, especially when they took the chainsaw out. You You can just get all the ideas about that. I don't want to get too graphic. But when the blood would pour out, I mean, it was splattering everywhere. And that's what they were doing. And God intends us to get this picture. He doesn't want us to walk away and go, no, don't tell me anymore. No, God wanted us to view the result of sin And what takes place with that? God wanted Jesus to be viewed and the horrific trial he had to go through so we would understand the extent to which our sin has caused problems in this earth. He doesn't want us to be innocent of that. That's why when you give the gospel the good news, you can't do it without giving the cross. And you have to describe what took place on the cross in order for it to have its impact. And so this is what God is trying to foreshadow. Now, with the right ear, you are to hear the word of God. Your ear is now sanctified by the blood of the sacrifice or by the blood of God. And then also the... The thumb is on the right hand is to be sanctified, that you're to do your work as unto the Lord. And also your foot, the big toe, is supposed to be sanctified. So you'll walk in the ways of the Lord. All of these things are to foreshadow, of course, what is taking place in the New Testament. Verse 21, And take some of the blood on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Take from this ram the fat, the fat tail, the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them and the right thigh. This is the ram for ordination. Verse 23. But the basket of bread made without yeast, which is before the Lord, take a loaf and a cake made with oil and a wafer, put all of these in the hands of Aaron and his sons and wave them or heave them in some translations before the Lord as a wave offering and then take them from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, an offering made to the Lord by fire. You know, when they ordain pastors, none of this has to take place. Could you imagine if this was still taking place, if we did this in our churches? You know, he has to come forward in his specific garb, and he has to wear this thing, put this thing on his head, and pour the oil on and sprinkle him with blood. And then, you know what? He has to wear it for seven days. Ooh. Oh man. Talk about getting the full effect of the sensory. Uh, you know, the, the senses are just getting everything in there, these guys having to go through this when was the last time you wore your clothes for seven days no don't answer that question we don't need to find out the information going on in 26 after you take the breast of the lamb for aaron's ordination wave it before the lord as a wave offering and it will be your share now the breast is close to what the heart and so this represents the heart of god is what this is referring to. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belonged to Aaron and his sons. The breast that was waved was and the thigh that was presented now this thigh can also uh, refer to the strength of god you know because it's waved before the lord this is always to be a regular share of the israelites for aaron and his sons it is a contribution the israelites are to make to the lord from their fellowship offerings aaron's sacred garments Will belong to his descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. So you see, scripture tells that. And remember, this is in the wilderness. This is not in, they lived in tents. Out there, They didn't have structures or anything. And so you're wearing this for seven days. Verse 31, take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in the sacred place at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for the ordination and consecration. But no one else may eat them because they are sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. Do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. So for seven days, you have to make these offerings, both morning and evening. Wear these garments. Have the blood and the oil on you and be there for this period, this week of ordination. For seven days, make atonement on the ark altar and consecrate it then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day two lambs a year old offer one in the morning and the other at twilight so there was a daily tabernacle sacrifice morning and evening and it was a way of adoring god or worshiping and it was to make amends for sin Now, Jesus is our high priest and he offers the sacrifice of himself to satisfy or satisfy the ransom is what it's referred to. And it's not like we were being held hostage. It's the price required. That's why it's called the ransom. And he is that lamb that takes away the sin. But the priests were just involved and going through the motions always. It's kind of like children. If a, a child is rebellious. And you got to teach them what they're supposed to do. And they just don't want to do it, right? They just, I don't want to. They lay around, especially in the day of electronics. How hard is it to get your kids or grandkids away from the electronics when you're going to do something? Let alone the kids. How hard is it to get somebody away from the TV when something is on there? You, You see the problem. But in the age that was back then, when you would teach a child, you would just say, just do it. Did your parents ever tell you that? Just do what I'm telling you. Why? I, I don't want to do it. You just, just do it. Now. Now. Or when you instruct them not to do something, how many times did you say no? No, 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 no. You Just to get the point across. And you were constantly correcting them. It, it's almost like if they're walking in this path and they're getting off the path a little bit, you nudge them back. And if they look at you and they Well, I'm going to go anyhow. Then what do you have to do? You have to smack them a little hard. Now, don't take that out of context. You know, child abuse. No, I'm not talking about child abuse. I'm talking about guiding the children the way you're supposed to. Just do it, all right? I'm telling you, you'll understand later. I want to do it. And they get all rebellious. And that's what these people were going through. Just do it, all right? And they did this for hundreds of years. Just following through with this. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm sorry. This is what you must do or you're going to be cut off from your people. That's pretty severe. And so the people just got into this mode. And then they wanted to be zealous for God. And they decided, well, let's just add this, that, and the other thing to this law that God set up. And we'll be even more perfect. It's like, let's add to the word. No. No. God didn't require that, and that's where they got in trouble. Verse 40 says, With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah, fine flour, mixed with a quarter of a hen of oil from pressed olives, and a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Now, I'm sure when they got this, they go, What? What are we going to do? We're going to... Okay. Whatever you say, Moses, and they mixed this stuff up, and they gave it as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering as its drink offering, as in the morning, a pleasing aroma offering made to the Lord by fire. For generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also... I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Now all of these things that are taking place here, I've already talked about the tediousness of it, but it was meant, as I have said, to point to Christ. They are the shadow of the good things to come. Now, when you look at a shadow, can you discern a face in a shadow? You cannot. Can you determine skin tone? You cannot. Can you determine what type of clothing somebody has when they cast a shadow? Well, really, you can't do it very well at all you can only see the outline right when you were growing up did you ever have those silhouette pictures in elementary school that they they would have a white background and then the teacher would put your face up there and shine a light and she would outline it and then you were in charge of cutting out i don't know if who did that we did that in school well that's what the law was you would look at it and go well it's just a shadow i I don't have any discernment there whatsoever. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, or repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So not only was this burdensome, but they had to do it, and it didn't take away their sins. It didn't take away their guilt. They had to keep on going back, and they're going, there's got to be some remedy for this. You know, this is like horrible having to do this all of your life. And that's what they did. This was the taskmaster. This was the pedagogos, so to speak. It was the one who was in charge of the child in a wealthy family. And he was in charge of the discipline, making sure the child did what was right. And sometimes, you know, when you grow up, you had a disciplinarian in your household. Sometimes they were harsh. Sometimes they were not so harsh, but they always stayed on track. That You will do this. You will follow through. And it was for our benefit. But it seemed hard at the time. It seemed difficult. And so these people are doing this, and we find out it was all in vain. It did not do any good whatsoever. It did not cover their sins. It did not remove their guilt. That's the difference between the Old Testament... And the New Testament. and the New Testament, the blood of Christ removes our guilt. Now, if you have guilt from a sin, you're carrying it and God doesn't want you to carry it if you've already asked for forgiveness. Now, how hard is that? I have experienced that where I've gone back and said, Oh, I feel so bad for what I... But I already asked God for forgiveness. I I know, but I feel so bad on the inside. And it just plagues you and it weighs you down. And at that particular point, you need to say, God has forgiven me for that sin. I know it is wrong and that's it. And who comes along and accuses you again? The enemy. Satan says, oh, you're so guilty. All you have to say is, I know, but I've been forgiven. And you turn away, and you, you're done with it. That's what God wants us to do. I mean, there's so many psychological problems because we hold on to the guilt of things that we've done. And if we can go back and we can make amends, that's good. Scripture says that, if you can do that. If you can't, if the person that you've offended or sinned against, if they've died or whatever, you lost relationship, you say, God, you know, I'm sorry. I confess my sin to you. And he says, Okay you're forgiven that's it does god remember it no as far as the east is from the west it is removed and so he gives us this ability to walk away and go i don't have to remember that anymore even though the enemy will come along now this also happens to come into play with our service for the lord and you might say well how so i thought you'd never ask the way that it happens is when you don't focus on yourself And you're focused on others, you don't have time to concentrate on your own guilt and sin. When you're putting your hand, for instance, if you're plowing a field, right? Now, I don't know if anybody has ever done this, but you get behind a plow and you have that ox or whoever's out there, a horse, and it's rough work and you're doing this. Are you thinking about football? No, you're plowing a field, right? Are You You might be thinking about Hawaii and a palm tree and you know some coconuts and things like that. But you are not really thinking about anything except for keeping that line straight. And the same thing applies when you're doing the work of the Lord. When you're actually involved in it, you're not concentrating on your own sin. Now the enemy will come in and say, oh yeah, you just wait. And you'll be right in the middle of something and he'll hit you with some point of guilt or some point of sin. And you go, ah get out of here, I don't need to listen to you, and you just keep on working for the Lord. When you stop, and you're not serving the Lord, and you know you should be, That's when the enemy comes in and says, look at you, you're being lazy. Oh, you're into self-pity. What's wrong with you? Oh, and you're so right. You are a sinner and it just loads on you. And so you got to get rid of that. When we concentrate on ourselves, seeking our own pleasurable pursuits, whatever they might be, hobbies that we have, then it's all about us. But the more you divest yourself of yourself, the less you think about yourself, the more you concentrate on others, and the reason you do it is Jesus Christ, and you're concentrating on him, and it frees you. And you might say, but that's work. Yeah, it's work. But it's better to have work with contentment than feasting with strife. And so you can have that strife on the inside yourself, and God wants to take it away. He says, consider others better than yourselves. It's the offering of your daily sacrifice. The body is a daily sacrifice. If you do that, I'm telling you, the peace which comes to you, the peace which passes understanding, it's just overwhelming. But if we get involved in a little pity party that, oh, woe is me. You know, it just never works for me. And I'm not going to try that again. And what would a father say to a young son? I don't want to. Nobody likes me. It's not fun over here. I just have a terrible time. What does a father do to a young son that does that? Do the same thing that David did to Solomon. David turned to Solomon and said, be a man. Now, I know that that is politically incorrect to say, be a man. Our young sons that are out there, and, it, and this is another thing, too. Kids are, the boys are taught not to cry, right? Stop crying, you little cry baby. You know, and, okay, and the brothers do that, and it's just a mess. There is something to be said for that because, and I'm not saying always, when a loved one is lost, when a parent, like in these wars that we've been fighting, when parents go, help the children grieve. Grieve with them. Grieve with the family. All of those things. But because something is hard, don't be a whiner. I, I had my children memorize Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. You guys know what that is? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Well, one of them changed it. <laughs> was do everything without whining or complaining. You know, that whine, stop your whining. You know, no whining. We just don't do whining around here. We just don't get feeble in our knees because something is hard. Life is hard. We all agree with that. And we don't want to get involved in a pity party. Just do the work of the Lord no matter what is going on around you. And that may entail several different things that may be loving your children loving your husband loving your wife that may be doing some work applying some skill for the benefit of the people of the lord for the benefit of the church it can involve many different things it's just you have to get out of yourself to do it self is our downfall and if we're able to crucify the flesh and scripture tells us to do that that means kill it that's what it means now it, It doesn't mean in a perverted way you go and commit suicide or something like that. It just means the attitude and the actions of the flesh we are to subdue, we are to put down. And if we can manage to do that to some degree of success, and God puts it on our shoulders, he doesn't come along and say, I'll do it for you. He goes, you do it. You do this thing. You be the disciple. You put your hand to the plow, and God will bless our efforts if we do it. It's the person that pulls back. And says, I'm not going to put my hand to the plow. What does scripture say about that person? They are not fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, that you look at that and you go, oh, man. Now, with saying all this, I don't want to put anyone under a guilt trip. That's not the point of this. The point of this is that you might have joy and have it more abundantly. Because when you're laboring for the Lord, your world turns around. But if we are slack in our commitment, even the very psyche, the inside of us, it has a tendency to get warped, and we get self-focused, and we run askew. And we're not supposed to do that. The Lord calls us to account to be his disciple. That's what he requires for us. And, of course, the priests, day after day, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, they would stand before The Lord and performed their religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, but we know that Jesus Christ was the one who did it once and for all. But now He has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And so that's why the ceremonial law was done away with. The moral law and the civil law were not. The moral law still stands. It is still wrong to kill somebody. It is still wrong to steal. It is still wrong to bear false witness. Satan is the father of lies. And the civil law. We are getting rid of the civil law that establishes a society. You know, to to say that some of these laws are just, which are out there and deny people justice, you are going to end up with the demise of society when people say there is no difference between men and women, and they need to be treated equally, and they need to use the same bathrooms. I'm, that is just madness, is what that is. I mean, you are just asking for trouble, and there are some that buy into it that just have no wisdom or common sense at all, but there are others who are pushing it that know it will have a deleterious effect on our society. And we're supposed to stand up and say, this needs to stop. Even though, will you get persecuted for doing that? Absolutely you will. People will say, what are you talking about? Everybody needs to just be able to be free to do whatever they want, except Christians. They cannot do whatever they want. And they claim to be so open-minded. They have become so open-minded The brain has fallen out. It's like, stay with common sense. Don't be that open-minded. You're going to cause problems for yourself and all of society. It's just bad. It is just wrong. And all of these things, and you guys know what they are. If you listen to the news, all the things that are coming up in the news, we have to say, this is wrong. What are we doing to ourselves? We're ruining it for the next generation. And we want to make sure that we stand and we say, this is the correct thing to do. This is how we act in society. These laws are beneficial. We need to maintain them. All of these things. If we do that, God will bless our efforts. If we turn away from what God says, then it's, it is down the tubes, you know, for our society. And I'm telling you, please be praying for the election. Whether you think you need to vote for or not, and I've always pushed that we need to vote, but if somebody is not informed, please don't vote please stay away if if you don't know what the issues are and you might say did the pastor really say that yeah it now it's our responsibility to be informed but have you seen these people on these shows that don't even know what's going on and they go, oh yeah i'm for so and so and they why uh i don't know it's basically what they say now you at this point, you're going, Why is the pastor talking about politics? The reason I am is because we're not supposed to just read the Bible and say, Oh, that was wonderful. We saying worship. We're supposed to put it into practice in our daily lives. We're supposed to actually implement it. We're supposed to follow these regulations that God has set up for us and freely do so. We have the freedom to do it. It's not like the yoke is on our neck. We're, oh, I have to do this. You know, it's not like the old sacrificial system. We have the freedom in Christ to follow his commands and we should do it joyfully. You know, when you serve inside the church, you go, I have to go to church today. I get to go to church today. Yeah, I get to be there. I get to see the people. I get to talk to the people. And some people go, I get to talk to the people. <laughs> Do you know them like I know them? Yeah, they're a bunch of sinners. It's all great, but we have this hope, you know, this hope that is just waiting for us. And if you go, I got to serve on Sunday. Wait, you got to serve. You get to serve. I'm telling you, those of you who serve in the Sunday school, those little kids in there, they're going to remember you. They may not remember everything you taught them, but they're going to remember you, and you're going to tell them these stories. Just by personal application here, when I was young, before I was five, I remember going to church. Now I didn't go to church after we moved down to Chula Vista until I turned 19 and I got saved. But when I was four years and I remember this, when I was four years old, my mom would dress us all up. My dad never went to church, but my mom would dress us all up, and we had suits. We wore suits. And we had wingtip shoes. And I even had a red blazer with a coat of arms. And I, yeah, it was good. And I had Brill Cream. And the hair that I had back then, it was up in a wave. And the, it was high and tight, you know. And it was just, we were good little boys. There's four of us. And I remember going to church, and they started out, and it was this some Baptist church, I remember, and it had wooden chairs, and they put all the kids into this one room. And they would sing some songs and say some things, and then they would divide the kids into these little bitty rooms. They were really small. And there was a, a table and a wooden bench on either side and would hold about six or seven, eight kids. And they put us in this room, and I, re, I don't remember the teacher's face, but I remember what he taught. And this was when I was four. He said, okay, I want each of you to take a pencil. And so we all took a pencil. I'm, full, I'm fully years old. And I'm looking up at him. And he goes, okay, now I want you to grab the piece of paper in front of you. And I want you to put it down. And so we did that. And we're sitting there. And we're all looking at him. And he says, now I want you to close your eyes and write your name. And we're, okay. You know, so write our name with our eyes closed. And it was a story about blind Bartimaeus. And I remember that at four years old. Now, I don't remember much else. Don't ask me my phone number or my middle name. I can't remember that stuff. But I can remember being in church. And if you're serving in church and a little four-year-old's right there, he's going to remember, she's going to remember something. And you get the privilege of giving him God's word. And so when you show up at church... Give me one of those kids. And you get those kids and you teach them the word of God. And you know that some of them, it's going to stick. And they are going to be great people for God. And that's our privilege. We get to do that. Is it hard? Yes, it is hard. It, you mean you got to kind of study and know what it? Yes, you do. But, you know, I got this video game. Uh, put it to the side. You know, make sure you're doing this for the Lord. And we get the freedom to do that. Old Testament, this stuff was not something that was necessarily pleasurable to do. Although King David, he was thrilled with God and and keeping his statutes and commandments. And that was all good. That was a good attitude to have. And that's another thing. Happiness is a choice. You know, if, if you want to walk around like somebody with a cloud over your head that... You know, nothing ever works for me, woe is me. The Lord wants to take that away. He wants you to be filled with joy. Uh, Mike McIntosh used to say, some people walk around like they've been baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> and, you know, all pursed up and just all tense all the time. got so get rid of that. Acid, get rid of that citrus that's in there. You know, God has given us the ability to walk in the newness of joy. And that's the opposite of what the Old Testament would have let somebody to do. All this sacrifice and this toil. And we get the freedom. We have the Spirit living in us. For them, it turned into a burden. And they tried to find out ways to modify it to where it wouldn't be such a burden. But God never said, modify it. Just keep it this way. And that was to drive them to Christ. That was the whole point. You look at the tabernacle. Christ is the tabernacle. You see him all over it. You see that it represents him fully. Him as the sacrifice. Him as the sanctuary. You have the outer altar, right? Which we bring our sacrifices. Then you have the inner altar of incense. That's what God does. Those are the prayers of the saints as we will see next week. So God is ministering inside. We minister outside. Same thing happens to us here. We minister, offer our bodies as living sacrifices here on earth. God has offered his body as a living sacrifice up in heaven they are both working together whatever is established here on earth and that's referring to matthew chapter 18 as far as church discipline is concerned but everything else that we establish here on earth god establishes it in heaven as well he says that is good that is holy that is just that is right let's do that and so with this idea of the old testament sacrificial system and taking these priests and ordaining them and consecrating them, you have been ordained. You have already been consecrated by the blood of Christ. You don't have to put on these robes. You don't have to wear the Urim and the Thummim. You can be led by the Spirit of God. You don't have to have that breastplate there that has all the stones on it. You have a breastplate of righteousness. You have the helmet of salvation. You have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you can slice and cut asunder the enemy. You can go on the offensive you don't have to be by the wayside or sitting on the bench going I don't know what to do pick up that sword and start praying use the word of God stab the enemy and also bring healing to those who need it because that sword is sharp it can divide joints and marrow soul and spirit and so it can bring discernment to you in order to help others it's like get in the game is there a football game today who's playing well, it doesn't matter. Who, whoever is playing out there, are the people on the sidelines just, the, the players, are they anxious to get into the game? They, they want to be on that team. Why? Because they get this nice paycheck, right? You are, if you're in the game, you get this nice reward in heaven. What is it? Wood, hand, stubble? No. Gold, silver, and precious stones. You can have mounds of reward up there if you will just pull out that sword. If you'll just say, I'm going to do all I can for the Lord. I'm not going to burn out for the Lord. I'm going to burn brightly for the Lord. I'm going to be a piece of magnesium that gets lit. If you've never seen magnesium light, you can't even look at it. That's how we need to be as far as our witness for the Lord. Just go out blazing. You know, at the end of their life, may people say of all of you, they loved the Lord. They were open to him and whatever he wanted to do. And they knew it was tough and they suffered under it, but they persevered. May the Lord say that of all of us in here. May that be our motivation. We don't have to do these things. We get to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your spirit that guides us. We ask that you would motivate us. We ask that you would help us not to be complacent, that you would fill us full of joy. And Lord, anybody in here who may be suffering under a cloud or a burden that is not easily released, I pray that you would minister to them, that they would know that you are a God of grace and mercy, that forgiveness is yours and you extend it freely to all who ask. And so, Father, I pray that that peace would come upon all who are in here, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would use us in a mighty way. May we be your right hand here on this earth doing your works and walking in your ways. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name in the church sin. Amen. Amen.